I grew up with women that were one of the first in a lot of the things they've done. So to me, it was just, I just want to coach. Now I just need to figure out a way to do it. Welcome to Athletes Doing Good Podcasts, sponsored by Robert Hack Diamonds. I'm Shelley Seward, president of Capture Sports Marketing. And I'm sports reporter Jen Latta. Bianca Smith is a true trailblazer on and off the diamond, making history as the first Black woman to ever coach in professional baseball. Growing up, she was surrounded by women that were one of the first in a lot of things they'd done. Inspired by their success, she needed to figure out a way to reach her goal of coaching in baseball. Bianca shares with us her journey to the Red Sox organization and the lessons she has learned along the way. After working with college and professional athletes, she found they didn't care about her gender. They just wanted to know that she could help them excel in their career. Bianca's passion for the game of baseball and seeing athletes succeed is another example of an athlete doing good. To learn more about athletes doing good, visit CaptureSportsMarketing.com. Bianca, it's so great to talk to you. Congratulations on all of your recent success. And of course, we know that that success doesn't happen overnight. So take us back to the very beginning when you started to feel like having a career in baseball could be a reality. Well, thank you. And uh, that is a long story. I'll try to keep that short. I think some people, a lot of people don't realize I've been working in baseball in some capacity for this will be my 12th year. So I've been in it quite a while. I decided I wanted to get into baseball the winter of my sophomore year of college. So around January, February of 2010, I had wanted to be a veterinarian for about 12 years. Hence why I have my cat. He takes care of that for me. But when I decided I didn't want to be a veterinarian, I was trying to figure out what area I wanted to go into. And I started working for our local YMCA, just keeping score for a basketball tournament, just one of our youth tournaments, and realized, hey, I actually like this. And all I'm doing is keeping score, keeping time. I just love being in this atmosphere. And this has to be something that people do for a living because professional sports goes on. So just did a bunch of research, reached out to uh, Dartmouth alumni uh, who are in the game. I knew if I was going to be in sports, it was going to be baseball. It's been my favorite sport since I was three. So at, at that point, it was just figuring out what area of baseball I wanted to be in. And after, you know, we're starting up a sports business club, working for the varsity baseball team, joining the varsity softball team and the club baseball team, working videography, radio. I mean, the only thing I didn't do was sports writing. And that's just because I didn't have time. I realized that I didn't like sitting the entire time. I didn't like being behind a computer the entire time. I wanted to do something that was active and had some impact with the players on the field. And at the time, general manager seemed like the best bet for me because even though I'd be in the office, I knew, you know, once you get to that position, you could pretty much do what you want. If I wanted to go out and shag balls during BP as a GM, I can. So that was, that was kind of the idea. I never really thought of coaching because it just, I don't know. It just wasn't really something that occurred to me at the time that it was also a career path from there. You know, I spent the rest of the time I was at Dartmouth doing everything I could to be involved, asked for some recommendations as far as graduate school. I figured, let me go. I can get experience working with the baseball team. That was one thing I realized I was lacking. A lot of people who are interested in this industry, they, they're doing internships while they're in college, and I didn't get that opportunity. So I figured graduate school is the best way to go. 
I took a year off, worked as a marketing intern for Pittsburgh Power Arena football team, worked as a sporting goods store, retail associate slash social media director. And I also worked as a pharmacy tech, really taught me patience. <laughs> that is a hard job. During all that, I self-studied for the GMAT and the GRE. I was going to take another year off, but my mom suggested, no, might as well apply now. If you don't get in, you can apply next year, but let's just get this out of the way. So when I applied to grad school, every school that I got accepted into, I did ask, how can I help out with the baseball team? And Case Western was the only one who got back to me saying, yes, we can use your help. So I went to go visit the school, immediately clicked with the uh, coaches, loved watching the team play that weekend. I actually think they won all four of their games, but it was just so much fun to watch them. And that was in April. So that July, I moved to Cleveland and two days later, I was helping out with our golf outing. So that's really what got me like my first real experience. Started as the director of baseball operations. This was a position that had not existed prior. So I not only created the position, I just expanded it. I took over say I took over their social media. They actually didn't have social media, so I created their social media accounts. Took care of that. I was doing meals, newsletters, alumni and parent relations, helping out on the field, worked our Rapsodo machine, was throwing batting practice, evaluating our outfielders, doing defensive positioning and stats. I think I did everything but actually going out and recruit. Also spent time uh, three years as a teaching assistant for the sports management class, president of the sports management club on campus. I was a cheerleader my last year. I cheered during the fall and I was an assistant coach during the spring. I worked as a compliance assistant for two years, several other activities that I did. And then I spent one summer as an assistant general manager for the Northern Ohio Baseball Club, which was a summer collegiate team at the time. And you weren't busy at all. No, not at all. It was, it was no big deal. <laughs> Bianca, it's really, really great to have this background. Was there a moment though, where like all of a sudden you were like, wait a minute, I could be a coach in baseball. Or were you so busy with all of the things that you've told us about and kind of just going on to the next thing, going on to the next thing that maybe it never really occurred to you till very recently that this was a reality? I think that moment was probably when I was with the commissioner's office in 2018. So even though I worked as a graduate assistant coach, I was so focused on having a law and a business degree and that there was external and internal pressure to be a general manager still. So after I worked with the Rangers, I knew I did not want to be in an office all day. I wanted to be on the field. I wanted to be working with the players, whether even if it was scouting, just something that got me outside. And I think I always knew that because that was my favorite part of my job at Case Western. But I just gave into those pressure to be a general manager instead. And it wasn't until I actually was rejected for two different positions after um, while I was with the commissioner's office. And it wasn't that I didn't have the background. They actually said, it just seemed like you weren't really interested in the job during the interview. And when I got that feedback, I was like, well, if they can see it, then yeah, I, I, I can't do this. Cause that's just what it's going to be like for every interview. I need to do something that I really enjoy doing. And that's when it was, that's when it hit me. I mean, coaching is a path. Um, because other people have done it for me. And it wasn't even, you know, a lack of seeing women coaches in baseball. That never really occurred to me because I grew up with women that were one of the first in a lot of the things they've done. So to me, it was just, I just want to coach. Now I just need to figure out a way to do it. I was definitely commissioner's office when it really hit me that this is not only something I can do, this is what I actually want to do. And I don't really care if other people think I should be a GM now. 
That's awesome. I saw on your Twitter account when you were talking earlier about originally wanting to be a veterinarian that you said that you grew up wanting to be a veterinarian and went into sports and didn't think you would ever need a biology major or didn't need (laughs) those classes. And now you are looking at biomechanics and neuroscience as a coach. So how how has that translated for you? Yeah, that's been crazy. I still kind of surprised I'm doing that. But I mean, just as a coach, you have to understand how the body works. I can't really instruct my players if I don't know not only how the general body works, but how their specific body works. There are some players who I might give, um, I might tell them there's, this is how we should fix your swing. But if they physically can't do it, I can't expect them to actually get it done. And then we just both get frustrated. So that's where the biomechanics came in, was just a better understanding of how the body moves and the limitations that I'll see with my players to make sure I can actually give them the best instruction. And the neuroscience is actually a recent thing. I actually saw, you know, there's a couple of coaches on Twitter who have been talking about it recently. And I thought that is a great, like second, another path that I can go down because I want to be able to see, I want to be able to learn, like, how do players make the decision to actually swing? How can we take that game mindset into practice and make it as close to a game as possible? And the only way to, for me, at least, I think, I feel like one of the better ways to do that is just to learn how the brain works in the first place. So it's how the brain functions, how they're making decisions, and then vision in general, how are they picking up different pitches? And how can we incorporate that into practice. So by the time they get to a game, it's like they've been doing it for you know, several weeks instead of the first time they're trying to actually do it is in the game. I love that you're into the biomechanical and the analytic side of the game. There are some people who think that that takes away from the way the game was played long ago. Obviously you are, you know, wanting to continue that side of the game, continue advancing that side. What would you say to people who are like, I can't stand analytics driving the decisions made in a baseball game? Well, first I would say analytics have always driven the decision in baseball games. They just might not have been as advanced back then. There's always some kind of numbers that you're looking at. And we called them the manager's gut, right? <laughs> like the, the thing is, is that they didn't know, but they were playing the odds. They just called it, it's a gut feeling. So yeah, I mean, now you just have the numbers to prove that those managers were right. So that's really what it is. At the same time though, I am very much on the, you have to have a balance. You can't just use numbers because you are still working with humans. That's never going to change. I mean, numbers can also be manipulated. The numbers that we get, we can forecast as much as we want, but you're never actually going to know what's going to happen. And sometimes you're going to have to adjust. And part of that does come from experience and just knowing your players, whether you can adjust and do something that's against what statistics would normally tell you. So there definitely does have to be a balance. And as far as the technology, again, it's just kind of proving what we already knew, but just having something concrete to hand to players. I mean, there's some players who don't care there are others who they don't believe you when they, you say they do something until they see it on paper. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I had a player like that at Case Western. <laughs> so really, just, it depends on the player. It depends on how you use it. Like, I try here, Carol, not to use um, our technology every day because then our players think too much about it. And it slows them down when they're actually in the box. So I emphasize when we're hitting off a tee, when we're specifically using the technology, then you can think about it because that's the first part of muscle memory is to ingrain it in your brain first. But once you're actually facing a live arm, 
I want you thinking just hit the ball and hard and make contact. Like, don't worry about what you actually do with your swing because then you're going to slow your bat down. And don't worry about the action mechanics. You're not going to have a perfect swing every time you go up there. The mechanics just help you be more consistent, but you're not going to be perfect. So you have to have that balance between the two, I think, at least to use it efficiently. Coming up, Bianca will share what it's like being a woman in a male-dominated field. But before she does, I want to tell you a little bit about today's episode sponsor, Robert Hack Diamonds. For more than 72 years, Robert Hack Diamonds has been Wisconsin's most trusted and respected name, known for diamond engagement rings, wedding rings, and custom jewelry. With a commitment to customer service, Robert Hack Diamonds applies the highest level of professionalism and expertise while guiding you in your search for an expertly crafted, stunningly beautiful diamond. For store locations or to shop online, visit roberthackdiamonds.com. Bianca, have you experienced judgment, prejudice, you know, people who have at turns at different places in your career felt like you couldn't do the things that you wanted to do? Oh, for sure. Probably the most vivid memory I have is a high school coach who asked what I did at Case Western. And I gave him the entire spiel, like getting a law and a business degree, working for the baseball team. This is everything I'm doing. And his response was great. When you graduate, I can hire you to make sandwiches. I was like, I just told you I'm getting two graduate degrees. What makes you think I'm going to be making sandwiches? And I, I didn't really, it was the first time I'd really faced something like that. And our head coach was behind me. And thankfully, he's so supportive. He immediately said, no, she's too smart to be making sandwiches for you. I mean, I've had that. And even just the little nuances of, oh, are you the equipment manager? Or are you the trainer? Oh, which player are you dating? I even had which player is your kid? I'm like, I'm four years older than these guys. <laughs> what makes you think any of them are my kids? And I'm in uniform in the dugout. Then most recently here at Carroll, I had a, you know, somebody was passing by, passing our team and asked what I did. And mind you, I'm in full uniform with a fungo bat in my bag. Like I've got everything on me. And he asked what I did. And I said, well, I'm one of the coaches. And he goes, oh, well, that team's going to lose. So I've had that. I, I even had a coach just tell me flat out, you're probably not going to get hired because you're a woman. So yeah, I've definitely had that. <laughs> How have those experiences motivated you or kind of fueled your fire on this journey? This makes me want to prove them wrong. That's how I've always been as a kid, even with my parents. If they, if they ever said that I couldn't do something, it makes me just want to do it even more. Even if I'm not even interested in it, I just want to prove them wrong and say, no, actually I can do this. Anytime I see those comments, anytime I I get something that's said to my face like that. My first thought is, okay, what can I do to prove them wrong and get better? You mentioned something that has happened to me and maybe to you as well, Shelly, but like when someone says something that's totally off base, totally inappropriate, I always feel like I'm going to be this like, boom, retort and be able to like have this witty response. And usually when it happens, I'm so paralyzed by shock that people still think that way and that people still then verbalize those thoughts that I just like, my eyes go wide and my mouth drops down. And then I'm like, and then all like 10 the minutes later, I, right, right, right. All the things that I wish I had said in the moment, I think of like later on, I understand that idea of like, what? And then, you know, using that as fuel, you know, in, in your endeavors. Uh, that definitely happens to me. And thankfully I've also grown up with the mindset of, the people who matter are going to be the ones who have my back. If anybody has a negative comment, usually it's the people who have no idea what I've done. They have no idea who I am. So it really doesn't matter what they say. Unless it's the person who is hiring me, 
they have no impact in what I actually do in my job. So why should I care what they say? I love that. I love that philosophy. I also love the mentoring that you're doing um, with young women who are looking to get into not only the world of sports, but of baseball and the importance of that. What have you taken away from that? That part is one of my favorite parts of being in this industry. I mean, I think what I take away the most is just one, seeing how many women are so interested in this game. Sometimes you tend to forget that, yeah, there are so many women out there who love baseball, who want to work in baseball. You get into this occasionally this position where you're feeling alone because you don't see a lot of them on the field, but it doesn't mean they're not out there. So getting to connect with other women who are interested, just it fires me up. Because I'm thinking, yes, there's more of us. Great. Now, what can I do to help them? Like, that's what I get from it is just that feeling of let me know what I could do. I mean, I try to tell all of them, here's my contact info. Like, I want to know how you're doing. Even if I can't help you, I just want to see how you're doing. If you're getting to where you want to go. I've told people I've mentored, not just women, but you know, men too. If I never make it, but one of the people that I've helped makes it, I'm still going to feel like I made it. I love that part of the game. Like it doesn't have to just be me. I just, I just want to see other people getting to where they want to go. I mean, that's part of my coaching philosophy too. I just want anything I can do to help you get to where you want to go. That's going to make me feel good. Has it sunk in that you're one of the first? You're a pioneer in this. You're a rock star in this. Has that sunk in? No. And I think that's because since I'm still in Wisconsin, I'm still pretty focused on my players here. Depending on, you know, when spring training starts, I'll be coaching right up until then. And I think it'll sink in when I'm actually in Florida, putting on the uniform. And then it's like, oh, wow, this is real. Even with all the interviews in the last several weeks, it still hasn't quite sunk in just yet. Bianca, I think it's so incredible that you're out there. And sometimes it's hard to like recognize the impact that you can have. But just your interactions with even your male athletes and them having a coach who happens to be a woman changes their perspective about, you know, women's role in this business. How do you anticipate those first few practices are going to go when you're introduced to the minor league team at spring training? I think it'll actually go fine. Just like I've had, this is the third school I've worked at. There's always a couple of players who are a little skeptical and it's not, I admit it's not always just because I'm a woman. It's also just being a new coach. You don't know what kind of coach is coming in. You might have your own routine that you don't want to change. And, you know, any coach that comes in and just immediately tries to change everything, nobody's going to buy into that. And then there are going to be others who, especially the ones that they've looked at my background, they're going to be the ones who buy in a little bit sooner. And I've had that even here at Carroll. Having worked with college and professional athletes, I found they don't care what gender I am. They just want to know that I can actually help them and I want to help them. So I don't really see it as, you know, me being introduced as a woman coach, it's going to be just me being introduced as a new coach. And they're just going to, we're going to be figuring it out at the same time. Okay. How do we interact with each other? That's going to be the biggest hurdle. And that's what any new coach has to deal with. Walk us through what it was like going through the interview process with the Red Sox and, and finally getting that call. That was a whirlwind for sure. Just that. I actually got an email from a woman with HR from the Red Sox first. I actually didn't apply for the position. We connected on LinkedIn about a year ago. She reached out, asked if I was interested in speaking. We spoke for about half an hour. And then two weeks later, she said, okay, so yeah, player development and scouting wants to talk to you. And in a span of a week, I spoke with scouting, player development, analytics, and then the, our field and hitting coordinators. 
<laughs> and then three days later got the offer. <laughs> so everything happened in less than a week. And um, at the same time, you know, I had a convention going on. So there were a couple of times where I said, I had to say, sorry, guys, I, I got to hop off. But the conversations were going great. My last one was two hours of just talking. So that's when I really knew I clicked. But um, yeah, getting that offer, I kind of had an idea that I was getting some kind of offer. I didn't know what it was yet. Originally, I was interviewing for a scouting position. And when I got the email that morning saying, hey, we want you to do fill this out for a background check, I'm thinking, okay, that's a good sign. I don't know what it's for, but that's a good sign. And then uh, later that evening, getting the call, I, I had to stop myself from screaming on the phone. <laughs> Like, I don't think they'd appreciate it if I'm, you know, shouting in their ear on the phone. I tried to play it professionally, but as soon as I hung up, I just started hearing. I'm usually not loud until I actually get to the field and usually not till the end of the game, but I, I couldn't stop smiling. First thing I did was call my sister. She started cheering. So that was huge. I mean, and my first thought was just, oh my gosh, I get to coach. We would be remiss if we didn't ask you about some of your thoughts on baseball as a whole and the game. It feels like they're always trying to tweak the game a little bit, maybe because of people's shortened attention spans and whatnot. But like, you know, you hear about the DH potentially being in both leagues and then you hear that, no, they're not going to do that. And it all feels a little bit like leveraging so that they can, you know, add more games or lengthen the postseason or all of the other elements that are involved. What are your thoughts on ways that baseball could change that would be for the better really the game itself I don't think needs to be changed because I I tell this to my parents I didn't grow up in a baseball family even though my mom's the one who introduced me to the game but if you're just watching the game as somebody hits the ball and run yeah doing that for three hours could be very boring (laughs) but when you actually know the strategy behind the game and all the nuances and everything that goes in between every single pitch I tell people it's one of the most mentally exhausting games you will ever watch like I could watch a double header and I'm tired and all I did was watch it so I think if we did more to educate not just I mean you've got your fans who really understand the game and they're the ones who are saying there's no pace of play issue because I really don't think there is I mean there are times where I don't have time to keep up with the game because there's so much going on so I think if we were if we were more active about teaching the younger generation the actual strategy behind the game and everything that goes into it, even something as detailed as, okay, what pitch am I going to throw next and why? I mean, those are the things that keep people occupied in the game. That's like the people who keep book during the game. That's why they're so involved is because there is so much that's going into it. But unfortunately, I feel like the younger generation, they don't know as much because they're not taught it. I mean, it used to be where parents brought their kids, taught them how to keep book, and we don't do that anymore. I have a 12 year old. So what would you suggest that we teach him? Is it as simple as like you said, what pitches for what situation or does it go even further than that? I'd say starting with learning how to keep the book, just keeping score. And I will, I will admit, I'm not ashamed to admit this. I actually did not learn how to do that until grad school. I think like I just picked up on the strategy because I love that part, but that's a whole nother game in itself. Just keeping track of all of that information. But yeah, if you get deep enough where you're, you're learning different pitch types, you're learning different situations. Okay, as a, a player, what would I do in the situation? That's what I used to do as an athlete was watching a specific position and say, okay, if the ball came to me, what would I do? So if you've got a kid who also plays the game, it's a great way to mentally prepare yourself for, the, for your own game because you're going through situations in your head. 
And then for those who might not play but are still interested in it, yeah, learning different pitch types, learning the movement, picking up on, okay, this pitcher has this type of pitch and they're facing this player. What would I do in the situation? Like as the manager or the catcher, what would I call? Am I going to pull this guy or not? Are we going to do, I mean, like as a coach, you have to know, am I, am I going to do a hit and run in the situation? Am I going to call a sack bunt in the situation? I mean, why would I do it and why not? And try and go through all of that in your head before the next pitch. That's why it's exhausting. I've always said that I would love to legitimately sit next to a coach, whatever sport it is, but sit next to them and be able to hear their whole processing, what's all going through, because I think it would be fascinating, just like you said, as to some of that, that strategy aspect of it, that um, I would say the everyday fan doesn't necessarily know about. No, there's so much. And that's one of the reasons why when I got to Case Western, I wanted to be in the dugout next to the coaches, actually listening to what their thought process was, because there is so much. I mean, I offer it. Same thing when I was at Case Western, we had international students who came to school. I think half of my business class were international students. And at the beginning of every school year, we would go and go to an Indians game. And I would find myself surrounded by international students just asking baseball questions. And I love that. It's not just coaching. Like I love teaching baseball to anybody who's interested. I will sit there through an entire game and explain every single thing that's going on. And that's what increases interest. Because then people actually understand what's happening. It's not just, again, hit the ball and run. There's so much more to that. I think I know where you stand on this then, but there was a conversation recently about eliminating the shift in baseball. What are your thoughts when you hear that somebody wants to eliminate the shift? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> as, as somebody who likes strategy, I figured that that would be a no for you. Yeah, it's part of strategy. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, we cannot wait to watch your continued success, not only in the minor leagues, but we're certain with your determination and your strategy that you have that we're going to see you far beyond the minor leagues. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how far I can take this. I mean, I'm, of course, just looking forward to being down in Florida eventually and just coaching, getting started, because it's going to be a whole new adventure. That's for sure. Bianca, it has been so great chatting with you. I honestly could talk baseball with you all day. I would love to hear more of what's going on up in your head. But those those student athletes that you have been able to mentor and now the young men in the Red Sox organization are so lucky to have such a brilliant baseball mind working with them going forward. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Athletes Doing Good, sponsored by Robert Hack Diamonds. Go to CaptureSportsMarketing.com to listen to our other interviews and to hear stories about the person behind the player and the people behind the team who are making an impact on others.